Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. First three rows, if you'll have any empty seats. I love doing it. This is my favorite part. So if you don't mind, unless you have the plague, and even then... Is he missing it? Yeah. This is it. That will be all right. This is Ghost Dave. Just always remind yourself, Nick, Nick never means to demean me. He is never looking to tell me what to do, but I've recognized he always asks us to sit in the first three rows. So if I don't want to have to battle offense towards Nick or feeling like he's trying to control me, just sit in the first three rows to begin with. Amen. You say, what if all of the seats are taken? That has not happened yet. I have a free seat up here. And we are 20 weeks in. Free seat up here. Man, that deserves a round of applause. Yes, yes. Alright, let's pray. 20 weeks in, baby. Yeah. Let's do this. Come on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. God, we thank you that you are sovereign. You know what we need. You know what pushes us past our limits. And Lord, so often when we feel ourselves getting to that point, we want to stop, we want to quit, we want to hit the brakes. Uh, But Lord, you're not trying to preserve us as we are. Lord, you're allowing us to get to that place of weakness, of brokenness, so that we cry out to you. And we realize ultimately that it's not about our strength. It's about your strength in us. And that brings us peace. In that we find joy. In that we find life. We trust Uh, God, we have rest, real rest, actual rest, uh, and our striving ceases. So, Father, help us to trust your process, trust the way that you uh, orchestrate things, and uh, help us not to resist you, but to resist the devil. Help us not to fight you, but to fight our own fleshly desires and to fight for peace. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives tonight. Would you open us up to receive your word? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, repentance from dead works. What? Oh, is that not what I did? Eternal judgment, right? Let's see. It's totally right. Resurrection from the dead. eternal judgment. Oh, my bad. Sorry, I just wrong, the wrong chapter. You know what? You know why I did that. You know why I did that because that was the I flipped to what was blank, and that was the week that uh, Anthony did it. You were testing us. I was not testing. Seems like it was playing. All right. Okay. So the entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Psalm 119, 160. Let's read this next one together. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18, 25. And the next one. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, 
that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That's John 5, 22 through 23. So eternal judgment is the last foundational teaching listed in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. That God will judge all mankind is one of the most thoroughly taught doctrines in the Bible found from Genesis to Revelation in every type of biblical literature. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24 actually describes our salvation as, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. God reveals the fact that he will judge all things to motivate us to live accordingly, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1.7 says, With no fear of God, we will simply live as fools. This is the most hated biblical doctrine of all by those who do not want to submit to God and His righteous decrees. However, people hating the truth or not believing in it will not make it go away. Let's go to Ezekiel 18. By the way, Ezekiel 18 is one that you should commit at least the reference to memory, especially as it concerns uh, uh, once saved, always saved. Yes, sir. Well, Ezekiel was a prophet, and he says in the beginning of 18, as he's talking about the people of the land of Israel, and he tells Ezekiel what is true to quote to the people of Israel. Let me give you Ezekiel's timeline, and I'll tell you who the kings were. So Ezekiel was during the time of 640 to uh, 586, somewhere around there, and that was right before Judah went into Babylonian captivity. So the kings during Ezekiel's time were uh, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, evil kings. Uh, and so Ezekiel was also a prophet alongside of Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Huldah. Uh, during that time. So he was speaking to the people of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, and the words that the Lord was giving to him were for those people. But he was speaking to people concerning their actions. So let's look at verses uh, 30 through 32. Uh, Garrett, would you read that loud and proud, please? <clears throat> Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all of your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Beautiful. 
Yes, please. No, you're fine. Start with a question, but we just read John five twenty two, and it said the Father judges no one. But here it says, therefore, all house of Israel, I will judge you. Okay. So, so you're saying? <laughs> well, it's like contradicting, isn't it? Okay, so. First off, start with this. The Bible doesn't contradict itself, and when it seems to contradict itself, it's what? An invitation to look deeper, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So if we see that in John 5.22, which we can go there, and if everybody flip there. Okay, so in verse uh, 21, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Uh, and then what we just read in Ezekiel 18, Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you. Uh, are we assuming that when it says, therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, that that's not the Lord? Well, I'm assuming it is the Lord, the Father. Well, if we see that the greater revelation of the Father is the Son, and so as the Son is saying that all judgment has been entrusted to the Son, if that's what we're reading about in Ezekiel, then our greater revelation, our greater understanding is that it is the judgment will be the Son, and they will be held accountable to what they did with the Son. The judgment will be in regards to the Word of God as it was revealed to them. Ultimately, the one whom and judgment is entrusted to is Jesus, right. is the Lord. He is the Lord who will judge. And so when it says, O house of Israel, I will judge you, it's not saying the Father judges here, but later on Jesus will judge. All judgment is entrusted to the Son. Therefore, He will be the one who judges. And it's like the Father will honor the judgment of the Son, which is hard because that begins to treat Him like two separate people. But really, Jesus is the revelation of the Father. And they'll be judged based on what's been revealed to them. Does that make sense? But Jesus is the one with whom all judgment has been entrusted. Any so other this, questions or thoughts? In this passage, is He referring to the coming uh, um, captivity in Babylon? Because Israel did go through a series of judgments. Uh, where he talks about uh, judging Israel and telling them to repent. Could this have been referring to trying to stay out of Babylon? Uh, yeah. I, when he says, Therefore I will judge you each one according to his ways, you have to remember the whole context of the word. What have the prophets been telling them leading up to the exile to Babylon? So let's think real specifically. Let's get real world with these guys. What were they being told to do leading up to a certain point before the exile. Repent. Repent. And turn away from what? Sin. sin. What kind of sin? Idolatry. Idolatry, right? The high places, turning to other nations for help other than God, right? Forsaking the law, forsaking God's commands, right? And then once the decree was given that they were going to go into Babylon and that the captivity was happening, then what did the prophets begin telling the kings? 
submit. So then it changed. It wasn't the same anymore. It's like, okay, judgment is happening. You will be taken into Babylon. And the prophets began to tell the kings, you need to submit. Don't fight against Nebuchadnezzar. Submit. But what did they do? Continue to go their own way. They persisted in going their own way. And then so eventually they were taken into captivity. Was everyone taken into captivity right away? No. They were taken in waves, weren't they? From 608 to 586 BC, they were taken in waves. And so some people would get taken and some people left. The people that got taken, they were given instructions by the prophets. What were their instructions? Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, bloom where you're planted here in Babylon. You're going to be here for a while. Do you see how it's different? With each stage, I think that that's a, a, an interesting point for us to remember is that sometimes we say, uh, like remember the, the Israelites whenever they were supposed to go into the promised land, but they doubted and were afraid. And then so the Lord decreed to them, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years, right? And then what did they do after that decree came across? Oh, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. Don't worry, no, 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 we'll go, we'll go. And so they went into the promised land, but the judgment had changed. The decree had changed. And so they got beaten back and embarrassed. And they realized the Lord wasn't with them to do what they previously wanted to do. But isn't that so often what we do? Yeah. Think about that day, we're talking about eternal judgment, that day when people see the Lord and they're there. Might people change their mind? Think about the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. We were talking about that last week, right? Oh no, let me go back and tell them. Let me go back and tell them. I'll tell them. Now I believe. Now I see it. Well, it's too late, right? Almost like, no, 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 I want to go in the promised land now. Well, it's too late. It's too late. There is a moment when it comes and judgment happens and now there's no going back. Now this is your reality. Now you have another opportunity to submit and it's not what you want to do, right? Once that judgment comes, we look back and it's like, oh, no, no I want to go back to that. I'm sorry, the time's up for that, right? Let's go to 1 Timothy 2. Uh, Valentine, will you read three and four, please? This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, does God want to condemn? No. Does He want to pardon? Yes. What does this tell us about Him? What does this tell us about God? That He doesn't want to condemn and He wants to pardon. What does this tell us about Him? Go ahead, Andrew. You can speak up. He's good. God is a God who is forgiving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Amen. And if we were to keep going with that, what does it say? He's good to all He has made. Okay. Yeah. How about forgiving, right? Those who love him, right? Yeah. 
we see that those who love him, he forgives. But those who hate him, he punishes. The, what, a thousandth generation? Yeah, yeah. Yep. No, showing love to a thousand generations. Yeah. <laughs> Punishing the, the children for the sins of the father of the third and fourth generations. So it tells us about him. He's slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving, gracious, compassionate. That's good. So judgment can be divided into five categories. Past judgment. Satan has been judged. Mike Brown likes that one. As well as those angels that followed his rebellion. They are going to hell. Amen. Sin has been judged at the cross, and so was death. Both Satan and sin have lost their authority because of what Jesus did on the cross. Even death has lost its authority. So what would be the rebuttal to that? Even death has lost its authority. But we die. So how has death lost its authority? Because that death is not the end for us. It is not permanent. Death does not hold us captive. It does not have the final say over us. Do you remember? What does authority mean? Power to choose. So death does not have final authority over us. But it's the Lord who holds our lives. You do not have to submit to either unless you choose to. And at death, you are freed to life. I'm going to say that again. You do not have to submit to either unless you choose to. And at death, you are freed to life. So when it says that we get to choose whether we are a slave to Satan and to sin, what does that mean then for us? If we get to choose, and we just said authority is the power to choose. We have authority. Do you see that? So in a very practical way, we have authority. We get to choose whether we want to be a slave to Satan and death or be a slave to righteousness, which leads to life. We get to choose. Present judgment. You have been given an incredible opportunity. For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Uh, someone read a different version than that. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Okay, so someone give me the main idea of that verse. We are disciplined now, so we will not be disciplined after we die. Yes. We undergo the judgment and the discipline now so that we will not be under condemnation when we die. Do you see that? Someone said it. it was, maybe it's someone in this room. That nations get judged in this life? Who was that that said that? that? Because nations aren't judged at the end. So nations are under judgment now. Which I thought was really interesting. But people will come under judgment after life. We endure judgment now so that we don't have to be judged later. Right? I thought that was really interesting. No one in, that room, no one in this room said that? 
1 John 1, 5-10, let's read that, describes a continual judgment that must be going on in a believer's life to prevent chastening or judgment from the Lord. There is to be a thorough confession and forsaking of sin as the Holy Spirit reveals sin in the believer's life. Sarah, would you read uh, 5 through 10, please? Sure. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Someone help me understand this verse. Come on, it's simple, but let's think about it for a second. Help me understand this. What does this mean? This is good. Let me ask a, a, a truth-filled question. Can we be honest for a second with ourselves? Yeah. Have you, at any point in your life, walked with hidden sin or darkness in your life, things that you did not want to tell anybody? I'm talking about after you've come to follow Christ. Things where you kept sins and secrets in the dark because you didn't want anybody to know about it because you were ashamed or because you were scared what would happen, you didn't want to bring it out. Has anybody been there? Okay. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Does it help? No. Has it ever helped? What does it, what does it open us up to when we do that? More sin. More sin. And what else? Guilt. Fear and guilt. Why? Shame. Shame. Why? Why? Why does it open us up to those things? Now the enemy has his way in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've provided him space, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. We've given him a place where fear can dwell. Where sin is that's in the dark. And now we begin playing a game, don't we? We begin playing a game with the Lord. And, and in that game, the enemy is able to tell us lies. And when the enemy tells us lies... When we're walking in the truth and there is no darkness, no secret sense, how hard is it to resist the enemy's lies? It's easier. It's still hard for me. I can be walking with no unconfessed sin. There's nothing in the dark. And the enemy can come in with who I am or what I'm capable of or tell me this. And I'm like, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. Right? Because he doesn't catch me when I'm at my strongest, does he? He catches me when I'm weak. But he comes in with his lies. And when I don't have unconfessed sin, it's still hard for me to resist his lies and believe the truth. How much more so when I've given him room and place and authority in my life, in my heart, in my mind, 
How much harder is it to resist his lies? If I've lied, right, and I haven't told anybody that I've lied, and the enemy is telling me, you're a liar. How hard is it for me to resist that lie? Almost impossible. Because I, I could be like, no, I, you got a point. I am a liar. Right? I steal something. I haven't told anybody. You're a thief. No, no, no. I, you got a point. And then what happens after that? You're just a lying thief. This is all you are. All that stuff that you used to say, none of that's true. And he starts the snowball, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Until we get paralyzed. And then we just want to isolate and go away. Don't we? And he begins that... When we have unconfessed sin and things in the dark, we give Him authority in us and we lose authority. Love is driven out by fear, okay, because we are the ones that push it out. It's not that fear has power over love, it's that we're pushing love away because God is love and we are pushing Him away and we are creating room for fear. That's what we're doing. That's good. If we claim to be without sin, we make him out to be a liar. He's not a liar. We have to confess our sin. And what does he do when we confess our sin? He forgives. And then what does he do? And then he cleanses us. He purifies us. And then what do we get to go right back to? Fellowship. Fellowship, living in the light, no fear, resisting the lies of the enemy. He says, you're a liar. I know I brought that out and he forgave me and that's done. Do you see the difference? You're a thief. I know I brought that out. I, 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 I confess that before the Lord. He forgave me. I'm done with that. I'm a child of God. I'm living blameless in his sight. I'm walking in the light. You see how he loses his power. That applies with every type of sin. Every type of sin. So three main ideas. Someone give me an idea. From 1 John 1, 5 through 10. God is light. God is light. Tell me what that means a little bit. He is light, and darkness can't overcome him. Wherever he is, darkness can't stay. I like that. What's another? What's another main idea? Confession brings forgiveness. Confession brings forgiveness. Yes. What else? Walking in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Yes, fellowship with who? Who do we have fellowship with when we walk in the light? Lord first. Get more specific. Yes, the Lord, yes. Who else do we have fellowship with? Each other. Who is each other? The body of Christ. Which would be comprised of who? Believers. And other people who walk in the light. Ah, there we go. 
So now are we classified as a group of believers just because we gather in one building? Who do we have fellowship with when we come in here? Those who walk in the light. Those who walk in the light have fellowship with those who walk in the light. Meaning, if we could see into the spiritual realm when everybody's here on a Sunday morning, the connection is not because people are in this building. The connection is among those who walk in the light. Amen. Those who are not hiding sin. So can someone come to this church and not feel connected? <coughs> yes. yes. Is that because the welcome program isn't deep enough? No. Is it because they don't take good enough care of your children? Is it because the seats aren't comfortable enough? The music is too loud. The lights are too low. People are overly friendly, underly friendly. <laughs> Might you come in here and everything be great, but you're not walking in the light and so you don't feel connected? Is that where people look when they're determining whether or not they feel connected, though? No. 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 Yeah, <laughs> Separation of sheep and goats. That is coming. Let's go to Matthew 25. So 31 through 46, who's feeling froggy? That's what it means. Yeah, let's, uh, Shane, why don't you read this? 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Okay, so let me tell you what happens. Let's take like a, 
Why don't you guys, there's a chunk of you, line up right here, just in a straight line, if you could. You guys right here. You ten. Yeah, just, yeah, there. Just line up in a straight line. Sheep and goats can't graze together. They'll butt each other and, and push each other out of the way. Yeah, this is great, right there. Just stay right there for just a second. They can't graze together. They just don't play well together. So what a shepherd would do, when I tap you on this side, right? Watch me guys in this line. When I tap you on this side, I want you to go to that side. If I tap you on this side, I want you to go to that side, okay? So start walking towards me. This is what the sheep, the shepherd would do. Keep coming, keep coming. And he would separate as he tapped on their shoulder and they would go from one side to the other. And he would separate them just like this. And so as the shepherd would walk, he would take his rod and he would separate them so that they could graze peacefully, separately. Do you see that? You guys can have a seat. Thank you. So a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and they will dwell in different places as they graze. Okay? So as we're reading, what he starts off with he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So where will he be? On his throne, on his throne which will be where? On earth. You're both right. It will be heaven on earth. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Do you see? So he's separating them. Why? Because they can't dwell together anymore. They have to be separate so that the sheep can graze and the goats can be over here. I thought it was really interesting last week is we talked about the eternal bodies that were prepared for each. Isn't that interesting? A body prepared to receive punishment, to endure punishment forever. Versus a body prepared for glory forever. This is part of the eternal judgment. Uh, and then Matthew 13, 24 through 30. And then we'll talk for a second. Uh, Sharon, would you mind reading this one, please? Okay, let me give you the explanation below. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. This is in verse 27, or 37. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. 
As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Did you catch that? Everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where they will, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So, sheep and the goats. Goats are rebellious. If you put them in a pen, they can have a whole field of green grass, delicious, ready for them to eat, and they will stick their heads through the fence and eat the grass on the other side of the fence because they are not content with what they've been given. Sheep are the other way, right? Wheat and tares. If you've ever seen wheat and tares together, the wheat bows and the tares stand straight up. Both sheep and goats, especially from a distance, look very similar. Before the age of one, you can't even tell them apart, okay? Hardly. Wheat and tares look almost exactly alike, especially when they're young. But as they grow up to full maturity, you can see the difference in them. With each of these, sheep and goats look very similar. You can only really tell them apart once they're fully mature. Wheat and tares look very similar early on. You can only tell them apart when they're mature, right? So, tell me, what are the similarities between these passages? The separation, time of judgment. Separation at the time of judgment. Good. What else? Eternal life and eternal punishment. What else? Both, both live alongside each other for a season. Yes. Until the judgment. That's good. That's good. That which produces good fruit comes in, and that which produces bad fruit goes out. Okay, good. What else? They look the same, but one is humble and one is Yep. They look very similar. The bat gets exposed first. What's that? The bat, or like the goats get exposed first. The unfaithful get exposed first. And then what remains is the faithful. In the, in the parable of the wheat and tares? Yeah. yeah. That would be different than what we read in the sheep and the goats. The righteous came first with the sheep and the goats, right? So what, what, give me a couple more similarities between these passages. Both are, go ahead. They both seem to reflect uh, the white throne judgment. Okay, and what do you mean by white throne judgment? Uh, well, at that time, the book of life is open, and uh, some people are thrown into the eternal fire, and some people gain eternal life. Okay, and you're referencing? Uh, that, that in each case, there's an eternal fire where they're uh, thrown. So Revelation 20, verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So when Mike says the great white throne judgment, that's what he's referring to is in Revelation 20, uh, 11 through the end. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, what else? What are other similarities? Uh, 
I don't know if it was mentioned already, but um, for one, there's an inheritance and a reward, and for the other, it's useless tossing out. So like in the um, example of the wheat and the tares, one gets burned up, bundled up and burned up, the other one goes into the barn. Yeah. What I like is when I think about the sheep and the goats, he says, come into your eternal reward, right? To the righteous. But then the wheat is saved for use, for later use. So there's both an eternal reward and use that's coming too. I like that. Matthew 7 21 through 23 relates to those who are alive at his coming and believe they are wheat or are sheep, but in fact are found to be something else. How do you guys think Matthew 7, 21 through 23? So let's read that. And I'll read you guys the passage that I think helps explain this. Tim, would you read uh, 21 through 23 for us? Yes. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Okay. Uh, So how do you think this passage relates to those who are alive at his coming and believe they are wheat or are sheep, but in fact are found to be something else. They look the same. They're doing the same things. They were doing some of the same things? Yeah. Come on, has anybody ever been confused by this passage? Oh, yeah. Yes. Currently. Currently confused. Yeah. 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 Days been confused by this passage, yes. So, um, I think that, so if you look at like, the tears, um, you actually, I looked, we looked it up, and you can make bread out of them. Okay. But the bread is poisonous. What? You can't eat it. And I think that... That's too bad. <laughs> Don't eat tear bread. I think that... Uh, like, does this bread have tear in it? <laughs> I'm a tear-free bread eater. That sounds terrible. Tear-free. Josh, would so bad. Oh, my God. Anyways, um, I think that... They said, prophesy in your name, drive out demons, perform many miracles. You're like, man, I, I don't even see a lot of people I do believe that are following the Lord doing those things. If people were doing miracles, prophesying, driving out demons, I'm going to think, man, that's a solid Christian. That's a solid believer. Yeah, go ahead. When I read that scripture, two things that come up in my head is the guy in Acts who says, in the name of Jesus, come out of In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out of him. As if it might have worked before. And the demon said, uh, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but... Who are you? And then yeah. it beat him to a pulp. Yeah. And then Jesus Sons also said, you can do nothing if you're not in me. Mm. So I, I have I don't understand how anyone can drive out a demon if they're not in Christ to begin with. So what are some explanations that we've given to help ourselves deal with this passage? Yeah. Could it be like they fell away later? Like okay. They were 
No. Okay. She's much more. Yeah. Um, in reference yeah. to not everyone that says Lord, Lord, <coughs> um, I wrote uh, religion doesn't work and would lead to a rude awakening. Okay. Yeah. These are all gifts, not fruits. Mm. Okay. That's good. I heard it described that um, when they say, "Did we not prophesy in your name?" They're talking about like. Well, I did the Arising Church. I was part of the Arising Church, and like we were prophesying. Like, As in, I was in proximity. I was like, in close I was a proximity. Part of something that we were doing, and he's like, "But I never knew you." Yeah. 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 We'll go. Yeah, we'll go one more. So, in my, oh, did you want to say? Go ahead. In my brain, I was thinking, um, there are because there are people who actually do these things yeah. who are not in the Lord. Yeah. And I'm like. In different countries and places, there's lots of like sorcery, oh, yeah. and black magic, and stuff. So, but they're saying they're doing it in His name. <laughs> Go ahead, keep going, keep going. So, in my head, I was thinking, like people can do things, um, like it, people say the name of Jesus a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, people like say Jesus asked me to do this and so they say like it's just like what they say to cover things up or to use it or yeah. they, maybe they do think they're yeah, you know. But I still I also believe there's like other powers and beings. God is the above all, but I do believe that there are other powers and things <coughs> at work and so they can call upon these things, you know? And Good they like want you to believe that you're because I think of the new ageism in like sure. all of these like you know new hippie dippy things. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we're old. So what, what I want to do is I, I want to read the first part of it because I want to give you guys it, it doesn't go through this in the book but I want to give you because I actually had a lot of trouble with this too and I I did a little bit of searching and I I, I think I found something that may may bring some clarity. So he says in the beginning, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes uh, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Would it be safe to say that we're talking about plants and trees and fruit? Here in this passage, right? Yes. And then he goes straight from there and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now to say, I never knew you. Wait, you mean not even in my mother's womb when you formed me? I never knew you. You never saw me. You never had thoughts toward me. You never had plans for me. I never knew you. What an interesting phrase to say. Not I knew you at one time, but then I didn't know you. I never knew you. Go to Job 8.18. <laughs> Let me start reading at verse 11. K 
Can papyrus grow tall where there is no marsh? Can reeds thrive without water? While still growing and uncut, they wither more quickly than grass. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. So perishes the hope of the godless. What he trusts in is fragile. What he relies on is a spider's web. He leans on his web, but it gives way. He clings to it, but it does not hold. He is like a well-watered plant in the sunshine, spreading its shoots over the garden. It entwines its roots around a pile of rocks and looks for a place among the stones. But when it is torn from its spot, that place disowns it and says, I never saw you. Surely its life withers away, and from the soil other plants grow. Surely God does not reject a blameless man or strengthen the hands of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Your enemies will be clothed in shame and the tents of the wicked will be no more. I thought it was interesting. The idea of those who forget God being like a plant who is torn from its spot and then that spot where where it was, it says, I never saw you. And we know that from this word see, it means to know. This word see here means to know. So I never saw you. It was torn from its spot. It's a section of plants and it's talking about those who forget God. It's relating it to if they don't finish, if it doesn't stay or remain, it will be as if it was never there at all. I never saw you. I never knew you. Such is the destiny of all who forget God. When I'm reading this, That's what I read. I read that someone can be a part, can perform miracles, can drive out demons, can prophesy in His name, and can fall away and fall from their place or be torn from their place or be cut off if they don't remain in Him. I see this principle all over the place. Go back to Ezekiel 18. If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does wickedness, None of the deeds that he did will be remembered. Do you see that? So when we're reading in Matthew about saying, apart from me, depart from me, I never knew you. It is this idea of nothing that you did before counts or is remembered. We don't build up a certain amount of credit and then retire from righteousness. Do you see that? That's not how the kingdom works. We finish because we remain. Mm. Do you see that? Does that help make sense? So that Amen? knowing would be deep or intimate. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would be remaining or abiding or continuing in Him. I also think that it's like you don't just get from that point from here. Like today you're walking with the Lord and the next day you're not and you're completely removed from Him. Right. It's those like small little compromises in the way that lead to that. You know, and it almost reminds me of like a marriage and they're like, why are we sitting in counseling and, you know, we're going to get divorced. Like, how did this happen? I feel like we were just fine. It's like, no, like there's been things along the way that have led to this and it's not just something that happens overnight. Yeah. And that's why it, like it relates back to First John where it says to walk in the light and to be mm. with Him and not to let sin reign and yeah. You know, it just reminds me of that. It's like, yeah. So. That's good. Do you know what I typically see, just to, just to further your point? What I typically see, because I've, I've worked with a lot of people and sat down and had very hard conversations with a lot of people. And it usually falls into one of three categories. I'll try and put words to this. 
it's usually that someone has been, let's say we're dealing with uh, men, young men or older men, and they've fallen into some sort of sin. And they've confessed it multiple times, but they keep falling into that sin. They keep giving into temptation, not taking the way out. They keep giving into temptation and sinning in the same way. And they've confessed it multiple times, but they start to feel more and more shame as the enemy builds up this lie. If you continue to confess it, or if you confess it this time, then you're really going to get the hammer. Now you're really going to get punished. Now they're really going to think this about you. And so after someone has confessed multiple times, it's like the enemy convinces them they've used up all the grace. Mm. And so I can't confess it anymore. And their pride causes them to hold it in. And then they go through that cycle we talked about earlier with keeping darkness or allowing sin to remain in the dark in their lives. Or someone is doing well and is praised by man. And they are doing righteousness or they are living righteous and not falling into sin. And then their pride gets the best of them in that way because people praise them. Maybe because they are moving their way up the chain or they're, they're networking and they're getting a lot of praise and affirmation from man. And so their pride gets the best of them. They let their guard down and they sin or they fall or they do something stupid or ungodly. But because they built up this image of pride... Now they can't say anything about it because their pride is keeping them from humbling themselves and receiving forgiveness and healing, right? Or that third option, someone is paying the price or is living uh, righteously and they're giving and they're giving and they're giving, but eventually the flesh cries out and says, enough. And they've grown weary from doing what's right. They've grown weary from doing righteousness, right? And maybe it doesn't feel as good as it used to when they do righteousness, okay? And so they then fall away because they're burnt out from doing righteousness. And then they're just numb to the Holy Spirit, okay? That, now, that probably falls into the parable of the, the sower, the four different soils and the fourth soil would be the one who hears it and it grows up 30, 60, 100 fold. But that's what I've seen at working with people. Though, almost everyone who is just, you know what? No, I'm, I'm done. I, you know, or nope, there's nothing. I'm not hiding anything. People fall into those categories I just listed. The people that aren't here in this room that were here at one time. Some of you may even be in the middle of that process right now. But this is what I see. And if we don't recognize the schemes of the devil and resist him, humble ourselves, confess and be healed, then we will ultimately end up dead or apart from the Lord and be hearing, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah. Yeah. Like they go, they help the needy, and they're a good person. And like from the outside, they may look like a Christian in the essence of like how they act. But yeah. They don't actually believe in a God. See, I think that this is a great question. We've talked about this before in some capacity. 
But this is definitely, when we talk about our age or like our uh, spirituality, because this culture that we live in, uh, and this is this applies around the world. This I don't think this is just an American thing. I see this all around. I mean, you know, every place that I've been to, and as I've talked to Eric about the places that he's been to, I mean, this idea of if I do good things, I'm a good person, and good people don't deserve to go to hell. Yeah. Right? I mean, that would ultimately be the logic. Yeah. If I do good things, I'm a good person. Good people don't deserve to go to hell. If if in hell everybody's burning forever. And in heaven, and is there only a limited amount of space in heaven? Come on, God, why are you being like that? Just let me in. I'm a good person. I've done good things. Basically, right? That's all fair to say within that. So this idea of I'm a good person because I've done good things. So then does it also follow I'm a bad person if I've done bad things? Do we take the good and weigh them and see have you done more good than more bad? Do you see how that might fall apart? It's like only count good things that I've done, but not the bad things that I've done. So if the only scale was weigh us according to if we've done good or bad, I think we'd still be in trouble. Because if all our thoughts and our motivations, especially if someone's doing those good things, but secretly they're a people pleaser, or they're trying to appease their conscience, and those motivations and intentions are also weighed and judged. Because if those things are impure, and it discounts any good that they did, well, now, aren't we... So that's following that logical conclusion. It's like, is that really the scale we want to go by? Do we really want to go by that scale? Wait, I've done good things. I can list off some of the good things that I've done. It says that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags because we're not even being judged by that standard. There is a standard that God requires. And that's what He requires. We don't get to tell Him, hey, God, if I were you, here's what I would do. Or I think this is how you should be to these people, right? He's the one that dictates how this works. But he doesn't just say, you figure it out. He says, you know what? I'll come down there and I'll take, I'll, I'll show you. And then I'll pay the price. And then you just follow me and I'll take care of everything else. Someone not wanting to do that ultimately reveals the rebellion and the pride in their heart anyways. Because if that is offered to us and we simply need to submit to our Creator, to not do that reveals our rebellion. It shows that, no, it's not actually that we're trying to do good, we're trying to get it right, it's that we want to do it our own way. And what we might do alongside of that is some good things. Because we want to feel good about ourselves, we want to feel good about who we are. But ultimately, that's not the standard that we're judged by. And it's really for our benefit, because if it was, we would constantly be living for His approval. We would constantly be striving for love or acceptance. And there are many religions that do that, yeah. right? Does that help? A little. Anyone else have anything to add to that? Or another question off of that? Yeah, Javi. Um, I, I don't know if this is a funny trail, but in verse 23... So Matthew 7, when we talk about where it says, you know, Lord, Lord. Yeah. Uh, so in verse 23, it says, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Um, obviously, the, the verse of the passage has been confusing to a lot of people. I've often thought about that word lawlessness. Yeah. And uh, I've looked up the Greek word for that is, uh, if I, could, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but it's anomia, and it means without. 
so without the law. So mm-hmm. the Hebrew for lawlessness is a nomen without, without the law. And so when I think of that, uh, we mentioned a couple of different examples of who could be included in the Lord, Lord. You know, I thought I prophesied and I thought I did all these miracles and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, it could it be possible to include those who... Because yours says, away from me, you... What does yours say? Yeah, you, pre- you, pre- you practice lawlessness. Oh, good. So Makes it even easier. So without the law, and more and more today, I hear of pastors who say the Old Testament is of no use, right? It's just the New Testament. Mm-hmm. When I think of law, I think of the Torah, I think of the Tanakh, I think of the yeah. Old Testament, when I think of law. I feel like that's what Jesus refers to when he says the law. Um, obviously, everything that encompasses that. So Nomos. Could it be and possible, Torah. Yeah, could it be possible that it includes those who believe they follow Jesus but reject the revelations of the law as well? And they say, well, I just need the New Testament. But this is great. I, I think you're hitting on a really great point. I, I think you're hitting on a really great point. A lot of people are being led away now, and we were talking about this. It's like, what Jesus am I even following? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, because this is a Jesus of my own making. We've created Jesus. In America, this is how Jesus should be. Therefore, this is how he is. This is how I think people should be treated. This is how I think that wickedness should be dealt with. This is how I think. I think if, if I were Jesus, I would say homosexuality is okay. Mm. If I were Jesus, I would let my grandma into heaven. If I were, these are the things that we do. If I were Jesus, yeah. I, I wouldn't be so hard on this person who's living in perpetual sin. Give him another chance. Give him another chance. If I were Jesus, this is what I would... And then ultimately, we all get this group think going on. We're all like, yeah, yeah, Jesus should be like that. Yeah, you know what? He is okay with these things. And then someone's like, uh, no, he's not. He, he never changed. Who are you, you bigot? Closed-minded? Yeah, he, that's not how Jesus... He's love. He's love, and that's not love. Do you see? And then ultimately, now this Jesus is held up and people are like, I'm a Christian falling under this. Now, if I were to rebut what you were saying, I think that it would be, well, with the Holy Spirit, I just have a hard time, you know, believing that, um, you know, with that, that someone would be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and doing those things, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, because this is a relatively new thought, this idea. I mean, I, literally when we were talking on Sunday, that was the first time that I kind of thought that, like, man, I wonder if people right now are serving a Jesus that is so far from who the real Jesus is that when they see him face to face, they'll be like, I have no idea who you are. Right. Who were you serving? Yeah. What were you what were you dedicating your life to? Your own thoughts? I, th- I gave you a description of who I am and what I require and what pleases me. What were you doing? Because this word lawless is without Torah. It's not without the law. It's without Torah. Like the rabbis and the sages that when their eyes are open and they do see Jesus and it does connect with them and they yeah. see that this is who their Messiah was, that they were saved. Yeah, and the one that everybody else talked about was way off the mark. Wow. See, that's an interesting thought. So I'm sorry I can't give you a more, uh, a better answer, but this is a relatively new thought for me. Yeah. Um, going off of that, First Samuel 4, 
has an, I think, really, really good picture of what this looks like. Because, mm -hmm. like, the Israelites, this is, like, in three, uh, the Lord speaks to Samuel and explains to him what's going to happen to Eli's, the high priest's sons. Yeah. And in four, we see it playing out where the Israelites, who consider themselves a nation for the Lord. Yeah. Um, they're fighting against the Philistines and they lose the first fight. And then the second fight, they send for the... They can... Can I just read it? Or? Well, tell me what your thought is because I want you to give, a, give me a, a summary of your thought. They send for the Ark yeah. to bring it to battle where the Torah is good that it has to stay in the temple. Mm -hmm. Not just some random temple that they make for themselves mm -hmm. or to take it with them that it's supposed to, once it's the temple set, it's supposed to be there. And so one, the high priest's sons, first we know that like from earlier in mm -hmm. the story, they're not following the Torah. Yeah, they're wicked. And then the Israelites who profess to know the Lord, they're bringing the ark to the battlefield where it's not supposed to be. Yeah. And then the Philistines that have been living with them like in the area for a while now, when the when they hear the shouts of the Israelites, the ark's finally there. Yeah, they say a god is coming to the camp, and they say they are the gods who struck the Egypt the Egyptians with all kinds, and they don't even recognize that the Israelites only have supposed to have one god. Yeah, and they consider them like pagans. Yeah, and they refer to them as such, mm. and so the Philistines beat them, and they take the ark. And then later in 6, when the, they give it back, 70 of the Levites died because they mishandled the ark. Mm. And they're, well, they're ones who are entrusted with knowing the law. And in the law is how to properly it's true. handle that. It's a good point. And so like the Israelites that were so confident as to bring the ark to battle, they lose the battle, they lose the ark, yeah. they lose the high priest and the student command right after him. Learning what God requires the hard way. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Mike, last one. Yeah, I, I, I think of Jesus sharing these things, uh, prophecy, chasing out demons, yeah. miracles. Those are things that were known to Israel, yeah. Israelites. But if I put it in today's language, I think they'd be saying, didn't I start a megachurch? Didn't I do all these tent meetings? Didn't I sure. have all these conventions? Sure. And I think there's a lot of people that, that see God more as a philosophy sure. than as a relationship. So sure. I think that would also apply in this in this case, right? Yeah, I think that's a great thought. I really do. I think um, I think a lot of things will fall into that category. People will be pleading their case. And all that will matter is what did you do with the sun? Yeah, that's good. Uh, let's go. Future judgment of the lost, also called the great white throne judgment after the millennial reign. Also, the judgment on fallen angels. Mm. That's cool. Let's do some of that. Katie, will you take Jude 6? Uh, Michaela, will you take 2 Peter 2, 4? And then uh, Paul, will you take 1 Corinthians 6, 3? And go ahead with Jude 6 whenever you get there. If you get to the back of your Bible, you've gone too far. That's true. 
did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. There are angels currently bound in chains waiting for everlasting judgment right now. Angels bound in chains waiting for judgment right now. Okay, next verse. Angels, currently, in hell, right now, in chains. First Corinthians? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Good. So we will play a part in judging angels. We somehow will be sitting somewhere or standing, whatever, and angels will pass before us that we will pronounce judgment on. That's a crazy thought. Jesus is the judge. Rich, would you please take John 5, 25 through 29. We did read Revelation 20, 11 through 15 already. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they sh will hear, shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so he also to the Son to have life in himself. He has given him authority to ex execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming and which all that are in grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they who have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We got a picture of this when Jesus died on the cross. Right? You remember the graves burst open and people came out, started walking around? I like to think that that's where the idea of the zombie apocalypse came from. <laughs> People got out of, out of graves and started walking around and preaching. That's interesting. At this judgment will be many religious people who worked in and for churches. I like that he said that. Not everyone, you who practice lawlessness. Remember, every time you see the word lawlessness, the man of lawlessness is referred to as the Antichrist. You can always simply think of without the Torah. There was no, it's not talking about lawlessness, meaning like he speeds, he doesn't pay taxes. That's not what it means. It means does not have the Torah, does not honor or acknowledge or practice the Torah. Yes, Caleb. Do you think the people of the ashes would come to life? Like, like people who were body. cremated? Yeah. Do I think that they'll come back to life? Oh, yes, absolutely they will. Yeah? And I, I said this last week, people who've been incinerated by atomic bombs. I used to think about that as a kid. Everyone's bodies become sand and ashes anyway, no matter yeah. how you die. It's true. So it's true. everyone's coming from yeah. anyway. Yep, you pay more for a casket that takes the worms a little longer to get through. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Next. <laughs> <laughs> great. 
write out the main idea of the following. Uh, let's throw these out there. Uh, Brian, will you take John 8, 24? Jackson, will you take 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9? Henry, Mark 9, 46. Caleb, Matthew 8, 12. Uh, let's go Veronica, Matthew 22, 13. Let's go Alyssa, Matthew 25, 30. And let's go Brad, Matthew 3, 7. So give me the verse, and then give me the main idea. Or idea, for our Spanish speakers. <laughs> All right, go ahead with uh, John, whenever you're ready. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Okay. What's the main idea? I like it. <laughs> Second Thessalonians 1. And to, grant, uh, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. What's the main idea? I think I read the wrong verse for this when I wrote it down. I think I read 1 Thessalonians. Okay, let's hear what the main idea of 1 Thessalonians, whatever. Is. 2 Thessalonians. All right, let's, let's hear what your main idea is that you wrote. Well, I wrote our, our faith in God is what we ought to be known by. But I think I, I read 1 Thessalonians when I... Got it. Got it. Someone help out your brother Jackson. He's been so kind and so encouraging to so many. Yes, Eduardo. We're going to cash in on some of that kindness. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, and will All right. I like it. I like it. Let me get one more on that. Matt, what did you have? Those who do not obey the gospel will be eternally disciplined. Eternally cool. disciplined. Good. I like that Jesus will be awesome. <laughs> Mark 9.46 uh, Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay. The main idea is that there's a place where worms don't die and fire doesn't go out. <laughs> Last forever. Bonus question. What was he referring to? Yeah, and hell? Was it an actual place? What was it called? Gehenna, yes. And what did they do there? Why did the worm and the fire not go out? They threw out uh, all the trash, the dead bodies, uh, everything terrible. Good, good. Uh, Matthew eight twelve. All right. While, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into, into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Uh, the sons of the, this kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. Where there's <laughs> Sydney does not accept that. On the spot, give me, give me, phrase that differently to demonstrate understanding of the verse. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the, the people and the kingdoms that were built upon this world won't last. Mm -hmm. and there will be the people that were, I guess, the people that were a part of it 
Good. Good. Matthew twenty two thirteen. The king told his descendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Come on. I said judgment is not pretty. <laughs> you should tra- trade out is not for ain't. <laughs> judgment ain't pretty. Tracy, did you have something? Mark 9, 46, the NIV, it's not there. And same with ESV. Oh, yeah. Oh, does it have a footnote at the bottom? It's in the footnote. Yeah, there's a footnote. So just a hint on footnotes. I want want to tell you the the footnotes that they put in, because me and footnotes have a love-hate relationship. (laughs) Oh. Footnotes, you can read them as opposed to them throwing in like, hey, and some people might say this. It means it is equally possible that this should be in here or equally possible that this translation should be held with the same weight. It could be either or. This is what a footnote means. So a footnote is not just like, hey, we're trying to cover our tracks. It's saying we had to choose one. What's in the verse is what we chose, but down here is should have equal weight. Or it means it's in some manuscripts that were found, but not in others. But if it's found in any manuscripts, then it would have the same weight, right? Because just because it's not in some, but is in others, it still exists. That's the, that's the point. You know what I mean? So the fact that someone didn't fully write out that part, because there are people just like us, if they find that same passage written out somewhere else and it says, some manuscripts don't have this. Yes, but some manuscripts do. Right? So, anyways. Wow, that was emotional. There you go. Yeah, I looked it up because my Bible didn't have it. I mean, I only read from like one website, but... It was because they said that like the earliest manuscripts, like the very earliest ones that they found, yeah. included. So, I don't know. Like that it could be added in later? Yeah, so their reasoning was like, um, why isn't it not in there, but more of like, why is it in there? Like, yeah, and but what we have to remember too is that picture thousands of people scattered everywhere. And the idea that who they caught, like if they say one or two didn't have it in it, but that same group of people as they were scattered were still writing. And then as they continued the writing process and generation after generation, they kept writing it out and they caught someone that was 100 years later. So what they're saying is because this person over here and the one that we found earlier didn't have it, but this one that we found 100 years later did have it, it it doesn't mean that it's not, it's it's like, well, this doesn't carry the same weight. Well, if it's off by a few hundred, like this one's 100 years later, it doesn't mean that it like was invented by someone. If they're finding these manuscripts that are getting copied and, and recorded and those manuscripts are making it in here, I just think that, that it's, it's like, well, it has weight then. It's, it's a manuscript that's found. It's like, who cares if it was 100 or 200 years later, if it's verified that this is where it came from, then it's, it's a record. You see what I'm saying? What's weird about this one is that it says, in my footnote, it says, some manuscripts include here the words of verse 48. So it's like, the same verse. Yeah, so 48 is actually the same. 46 is 48. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't. My Bible does say flat out the verses 44 and 46, which are identical with verse 48. Okay. 
Which is the just one. repeated. I'm learning some of this stuff too. I'm sitting down with tools. Oh, yeah. We're sitting down this morning, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm going through this stuff and I'm I'm getting back in their minds. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. Do we do Matthew twenty five thirty? Is that you? Go ahead. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lots of weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Anybody ever gnash their teeth? Ever happened? Oh. Go ahead. Um, is this eternal place, is that part of the kingdom of heaven? Because like uh, in Matthew 22, it talks about the kingdom of heaven is likened unto uh, a king who throws a wedding feast for uh, mm. his son. And so all these, uh, and I heard a teaching on this quite a few years back, and it's like all these things are in the kingdom of heaven. And um, is that would be the like they're in the, like in the outer court where there's not this kind of glory? Yeah. So in the story of the wedding feast, when someone is thrown out, what would be the worst part about getting thrown out? Well, he, he didn't have the wedding garment on. Or yeah. He, he didn't. He his clothes weren't purified. Yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, could you you know ex ex come in? Through the you know through Jesus Christ and then not uh, change your life. Yeah. Um, because all of the passages, uh, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is likened unto or it, um, the, uh, the 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 other one, uh, the first one was about the centurion. Mm -hmm. uh, and he and it says the and it, it talks about the kingdom of heaven too. Yeah. Uh, and then the uh, the last one was about um, I just went blank, uh, but it it also started out the parable. It, it was concerning the uh, about the kingdom of heaven. Mm. There is this principle of you can see this in Nehemiah thirteen three. I'll read it to you. It says, "When the people heard this uh, law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent." In Zephaniah 1.8, it says, On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's son, sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. And as we're reading, uh, it says, Without wedding clothes. So he's wearing the wrong garments. He noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes, wearing the wrong garments. Well, what do the saints receive? White robes. Yeah, and these are righteousness, the righteous acts. So someone's wearing the wrong clothes. So the wrong clothes show that they're in there by the wrong means. They don't belong. I actually think, when I've looked, and maybe this doesn't answer your question, but on the parable of the wedding banquet, what this made me think of was this city without walls that Jerusalem will be, where the Lord rules and reigns from, and we reign with Him during the millennial reign. When it's talking about without walls, I don't, I don't picture, even though it describes in Revelation these giant walls and the names, I don't picture that there's like, that someone can slip in, right? The idea that, that someone can slip in, that they would be burned up with fire. I think that people might be able to get in, but they don't belong. Mm. And that they will be removed from that city. And that the only people that will be allowed in there are those who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So uh, that's my own personal thought. I'm not saying, I'm trying to figure that one out too. But the parable of the wedding banquet was very interesting to me too. Who is this guy that somehow gets in there? 
How does he get into this wedding banquet? You know what I mean? If we're talking about the ruling and reigning of the Lord and someone's in there that doesn't belong. Yeah, so uh, those are all my thoughts on that. That's not a conclusive answer, but the righteous acts of the saints is their robes. That's their clothing. But someone's in there that doesn't belong, and I did see the foreign clothes and the foreign descent, foreigners, people who have not come under the God of Israel, people who do not belong. They are not in the family of God, and they are tossed out. They are thrown out. So that did happen in Nehemiah's reform and in Ezra's reform. They took people who did not belong in there or who couldn't prove, and they removed them or they got them out. So. Now, now how about with the centurion? I mean, he, was, he wasn't even a Jew. Which, what, uh, the... the um, there was uh, the Matthew uh, 8, 12. He was a god here. Okay. What's that, Garrett? What'd you have? Does it state that he's a god fear in this passage? Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't know the God of Israel. Yeah, he, he does know the God of Israel, but he had not had the full revelation of who Jesus is. But what were you saying? Uh, I'm just, you know, uh, he wouldn't have been considered, I, he was God fearing, but would, would he be considered, you know, part of the Jewish culture at the time? Uh, what I believe is that. Because he had responded and humbled himself to what was revealed to him, he was living by faith. He had received the word by faith. And so he believed as much as had been revealed to him. And because he believed in that way, then Jesus was revealed to him. That's what I see. Same thing with Cornelius. Cornelius is another example of this. He was a God-fearer, but then the Lord was moving on his behalf to reveal not just the Lord, but also the Holy Spirit. To him and his whole household because he was living by faith. And it actually said that his prayers were a memorial in heaven. So he was a God-fearer and the things that he was doing and the way that he was behaving and who he was, there was a memorial in heaven. So I would say that yes, it is possible before Jesus is revealed for someone to be humbling themselves and believing. Now this is not I heard about Jesus, I don't believe in Jesus, I am going to fear God and obey God's commands. Is that another way in? No. What about I'm born a Jew, I don't believe in Jesus or accept Jesus, but I fear God and obey His commands? No. But if we're talking about a God-fearer who has responded in faith and simply has not heard yet, I do believe that there is a place in heaven for those people. That's, that, and, I, and I feel that is easy to see in Scripture. It's not, out, it's not salvation outside of Jesus. Jesus is the Word. The Jesus that we know that was revealed to us through his word, we, we have come to, but he is the living, breathing, walking word of God. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Was Abraham a Jew? No. Abraham was not a Jew. He was taken from among the Gentiles is what it said about him. So he was taken from among the Gentiles, did not know about Jesus, but heard the word of God, believed it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So there is plenty of proof that God does work that way. So, yeah. Couldn't we also, getting back to the wedding banquet. Yeah, yeah. Um, the wording towards the end, throw, throw them out, whether it be weeping and gnashing teeth. Also in Matthew, the end of Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus tells three parables back to back. Um, uh, the ten virgins. Yeah. Five were foolish, five were wise. Five, and it, this is just me, but I've always believed it's been fruit. They had no fruit. They believed, but they, had, they bore no fruit. The talents, 
one had 10, one had five, one had one, he bore no fruit. Uh, the servant at the end of 24, he, he thought the master was long in coming and he got lazy, he stopped being diligent. And in each case, the same thing happened to them where throw this guy out. They all believed, but they all got thrown out where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. So is it possible yeah, I'm tracking that me. this could be somebody that's a believer that just did not bear any fruit for the kingdom and ends up getting tossed out? Yeah, for sure. Matthew 3, 7, who had that? Go ahead, Brad. Matthew 3, 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Mm. That's the main idea. Uh, is that uh, there is a wrath coming for those who do not repent. Love it. So in light of the future of the unsaved, what should be our attitude towards evangelism? Utmost priority. Utmost priority, yeah. What is, what is our response to those who don't know? <coughs> that they would know. <coughs> so do we need to figure out an argument that will win every conversation and go out and logically defeat everyone, wrestle them into submission, and force them by the sword if necessary, right? Now that's a different religion. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, and then in love, we speak the truth. We put off falsehood. I'm going to tell you, many of you in this room, your evangelism would be much more effective if you would put off falsehood and simply speak the truth in love without fear of how the other person will respond. We're too afraid to offend. We could go through every chapter in the book of John and see Jesus offending people. It's not about offending people. It's not being afraid to offend people to speak the truth. Okay? So what would be an example of falsehood in that situation? Falsehood would be... Uh, someone, someone help her out. What's an example of false? If I say, put off falsehood and speak the truth to one another in love. Well, give me an example of that. Go ahead, Zach. Um, so an example of falsehood would be there's something in there's something in Henry's life that I know I need to address. And so I come to him and I'm like, Henry, how's it going? How you doing? So I kind of see this going on in your life. and We kind of need to fix that. Instead of just going off to Henry and being like, Henry... This is the problem. We need to fix it. This is what we're going to do. If you don't accept that, we need to change that. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of coming to someone and simply addressing what's going on rather than softening it, right, or, or, or easing into it. Hey, I don't know. I, I know this is your business. It's not my business. I'm thinking maybe this is not such a great idea, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I just wanted to present things to you. <laughs> There's a difference between that and saying, hey, I want to tell you, I, I've seen this type of behavior in my own life and it produced death in me. I'm concerned for you because I see the same thing in you. I'm concerned for your soul. Right? It's a different way of speaking to someone. That's a different way. We have to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. I would say that also like, the reason why we sometimes tend to be afraid to offend someone live by the standard of the word, it's like, like the people are not really offended with us when we speak the truth. Like, they're offended with the 
I think when you say we're not living in the standard of the word, sure, from what I just said, to speak the truth in love, I think the reason that we don't want to offend people is because we want people to like us. So, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of Christians. The judgment seat of Christ is described in Romans 14, 10 through 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Give me just one second. This judgment is a judgment of our works. This is what I'm always talking about. The wicked will be judged according to what they, or how they sinned. They'll be judged according to their sin. The righteous will be judged according to what they did in faith. If any one of you are standing before the Lord on that day, do not say, Nick did not tell me that I would be judged according to what I did in faith. Because I am telling you now, you are now accountable. Okay? This is not a judgment of sins. That was accomplished on the cross. This is not to determine whether a Christian will be in heaven. This was determined the moment you believed in Christ and therefore received eternal life. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment of the believer's motives and actions. There is real potential for every saint to be rewarded for what deeds they did by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible refers to these rewards as crowns. They say, well, am I, is, this, is this salvation by works? Don't play that around here. It doesn't work. Salvation by works. What you're trying to do is fight for no accountability for the way that you live your life. Okay? When we argue about salvation by works, that's a cop-out. Fighting for no accountability. You're saved by grace through faith, period. That conversation is over and done with. Praise God, you now know Christ, you know the truth. You have His Holy Spirit. What are you going to do? That's the question. Okay? So let's go to those verses. Uh, Emily, will you take 2 Corinthians 5.10? Uh, Stephen, will you take 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15? And Sydney, will you take Romans 14, 10 through 12? Okay, uh, go with Romans first. Good. We'll give an account, each of us. Uh, Second Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Very clear. First Corinthians 3. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is in Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring, to, uh, bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So what I see in that, and this is what I think about a lot, 
I'm trying to figure out right now how do I build that which will pass through the fire? Because I'm thinking daily. I mean, I'm, I'm being legitimate with you. I'm thinking daily about the resurrection. I'm thinking daily about what life will be like when I live forever. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what can I do that will be credited to my account? How can I inspire other people to do things that will be accredited to their account? That's what I'm thinking about. That's what's driving me. That's what's going on in my head a lot of the time. Okay? So I'm thinking, well, this has to be done in faith. So when I get opportunities to take, I don't want to say chances or risks, steps of faith that, let's be honest, look like risks or chances, okay? It, it often looks like taking a risk, okay? Or how people would describe taking a risk, okay? But trusting the Lord as I step out. What we did with the building project with the children's area, that was taking a step of faith. Because we, were, we did not have money to do that. We stepped out knowing that the original cost for that was like $16,000 at least. We stepped out in the back area, okay? The cost for everything that's been done back there would normally be like $30,000. That's $46,000 we were living month to month in this church, okay? I know that you're thinking, don't churches have separate categories and they're putting money aside and savings accounts and what about Dave Ramsey and all? <laughs> we can have a separate discussion about that as it stands now we've been in this building for a little over two years and we are we're going out we're stepping out in faith the Lord has provided along the way and we've been able to take care of these costs okay and I'm seeing that and that's building my faith we're doing that at home with different things we're stepping out in faith we stepped out in faith to go to Jerusalem Whenever we went to Israel, we stepped out in faith to do that. We didn't know where these things were going to come from, but we stepped out in faith. Those are ways that we've been doing it financially. There's ways that we could describe we're doing it with our time. There were things that I needed to get done today. Someone else asked me for help with something, and so I did that instead, trusting that in faith, this other thing would get done. This is stepping out in faith. I'm trying to do these things by faith. Why? Because I'm thinking about passing through the fire. And I want my life to be built up. Now, I could make logical decisions and make it through this life easier, better, more comfortable. Right? But I might get to the end, have a huge mansion, tons of friends, people love me, I'm amazing at a lot of stuff, I've prospered, I've got lots of money and wealth and fame and fortune, I've got all those things, and then I get there, I pass through the fire, and I've got nothing. Because I didn't do anything in faith. I didn't trust the Lord and step out in faith beyond my abilities. Do you see that? Many people will be in that situation on that day. Many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. I think some of the wealthiest people in the kingdom will be people that no one's ever heard of. You've never heard of their names. You never saw them. You never knew them. They were never on any stage. And some of the poorest people may be the people who were known by everyone. And some people you may be surprised aren't there. Uh, let's move forward. Elena, will you read everything in the crown of life, please? Okay. 
some, uh, the crown of life, sometimes called the martyr's crown, and will be given for faithfulness to Christ at the cost of one's own life. Ooh, Elena, could you do me a favor? Could you stand up as you read this and read much louder and with authority? Okay. Almost as if you're angry, but oh with gosh. love in your heart. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Okay. The crown of life, sometimes called the martyr's crown, will be given for faithfulness to Christ at the cost of one's own life. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Mm. Revelation 2.10. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, endures temptation, for when he is tra- ta- uh, tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has prepared for those who love him. James 1.2, or 12. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Aria, will you please read everything under the crown of glory? <laughs> crown is rewarded for faithful service as an overseer of the flock of God, the church. It is also for those who faithfully support their God, ordained ministers. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 1 Peter 2, 5-4. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Matthew ten forty one. 41. Mm. Tabin, will you read everything for the crown of rejoicing, please? <clears throat> the crown of rejoicing, sometimes called the soul winner's crown, is rewarded to those who win others to Christ. The rejoicing is that the soul winner will have tremendous joy in heaven by seeing people there because of their witness. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? 1 Thessalonians 2.19 Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the ferment, and those who turn May any to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel 12, 3. Beautiful. Uh, Johnny, will you read the crown of righteousness, please? Crown of righteousness. Reward for those who live a holy and pure life by living motivated by the return of Christ and loving the fact that Jesus is returning soon. This is righteous living in light of Jesus' return. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hmm. <laughs> and Annie, will you read the incorruptible crown, please? The incorruptible crown, rewarded for those who live a disciplined, self-controlled Christian life. And everyone who competes for the prize, uh, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. So in light of eternal judgment, are you prepared and living to qualify for eternal rewards? Salvation is free. Rewards are not. 
So look, this should not, this should not cause any insecurity to rise up in you. You don't have to be insecure because insecurity is not going to do anything for you. Feeling insecure or feeling afraid or getting down on yourself, that's not going to do anything for you. To be excited that there is a vision and that there is direction for the life that we will live eternally with the Lord should excite you. Because if, if the afterlife was to remain simply a mystery to us and we had no idea what to expect, nor any idea of how we could participate in the reality of it now, that would be to our detriment. We would be operating at a loss because we wouldn't know what we're working towards. We wouldn't understand the vision of what we're moving towards. I want to tell you the Word of God is very clear about many things concerning the life that we will live in the millennial reign. Very clear. But we've not looked for them because we've not paid attention to it. We simply have told ourselves all that matters is that I am saved now, try not to sin until I die, and then I will leave this earth and go to this perfect place. That has for too long been the reality that people have imagined. And I'm telling you, heaven is coming here. Those who have been saved by Jesus will be held accountable for the works that they did. Okay? Let me say that again. If you have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be judged according for the works that you do in faith. Okay? The rewards that are given will be what we just read. For sure. For sure, these crowns. And then, but then what do we do with those crowns? Cast them down, right? Why? Because nothing compares to being with Him forever. Amen. So there is no reason to fret. There is no reason to fear. But we can be excited that He's laid out a plan for us to participate in eternity now. Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. So good. Anybody with any final questions or thoughts? I wrote... I like the word that had that saying before. Uh, live, we live motivated by the return of Jesus. Yes. Motivated. Yeah. <clears throat> Amen. Um, it's a little bit impractical, but interesting. It, so in Peter uh, <laughs> 2, 4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them into the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If it says he threw them into hell uh -huh. to be kept until judgment. Yeah. Are there going to be different places of bad judgment? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know that there are because Satan is bound and thrown into the abyss for, okay. a, thousand, for a thousand years. Okay. While the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Okay. So already you know that there's different places of judgment and holding places. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yes, Dan. Um, in... Can I go back just briefly in Matthew uh, 3, 7? Um, <clears throat> it um, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Um, when I went into that a little bit, um, is it true? The, the Pharisees and Sadducees, I, I got the impression, thought they had a inside track on heaven because of their father Abraham. 
Yeah, they actually believe that uh, Abraham was standing at the gates of hell making sure no Jew accidentally got in. So this is... The, the idea that... Uh, the idea that they were saved because of their bloodline was a prominent thought. Because the end... You can see as you read through the Older Testament where they would get that idea from, but you could also see the judgment of God coming upon them time and time again, regardless of their bloodline. So, to be delusional, to think that you're well, you know, Jesus was said, I, I didn't come for those who are healthy, I came for the sick. Mm-hmm. I didn't come, or no, if, if you would admit that you were blind, I would heal you and you could see. But as it is, you remain in your blindness because you claim that you can see. They were claiming they could see, they were claiming they were healthy, they were claiming they didn't need a savior, right? And so they thought they were fine, and it was largely because of their bloodline. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Is the point of the crowns like like so we you know this list out like different crowns? Is that whole point just to say like there are rewards and to be you know like it's not like I'm going for the crown of life. <laughs> like it's a video game. Like it's a game. Or like a board yeah. game. Yeah, it's yeah. Like the, the point is. Oh, it like, looks like someone's already got the crown of life. I'm yeah. going for the crown of righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's obviously not the point. Uh, I, I actually uh, don't. Uh, I, these crowns, I think, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's beautiful. And we talked about the crowns, I think, in the Revelation study too. Um, I think. What I think about the crowns, my, my, my personal thought, is that it's not, I mean, if someone hands me a crown, uh, you know, I'm in heaven, I don't know. So I think it might not be, it might not be this idea of an actual crown. Like I've got like, I'm walking around with like a crown holder. Like I've got all fine. I'm like, depending on who I'm around, I'm like, I think I'm going to go for the the corruptible crown today polish it up you know what I mean I think it's more about the the authority that we carry in the world to come and I think it's about the the uh, acknowledgement of the authority that we lived with in this life or in another word how we were faithful with what we have been entrusted with and now being entrusted with more I think it will symbolize so it's symbolizing those things so will we be handed actual like you know, like I don't think that that's the point. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. bring the Lord a greater offering with your crowns. I I I, I see that a hundred percent. Yeah. The idea of, so of bringing him something. I didn't come empty-handed. I came with something yeah. to bring. You know, and I think that that's beautiful. that's the parable of the talents. Yeah. They're like, hey, you entrusted me with this. Here you go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, wow, because that's increasing his inheritance. Yeah. Demonstrating our faithfulness as his servants, mm-hmm. right? Uh, back to what Natalie was talking about with Matthew seven, um, with, with those of uh, saying Lord, Lord. Well, one, my, my life is actually all of that. Uh, I was the one that was um, doing those things, and I, I loved what you said, Sydney, about uh, maybe it's not like they they just went and did that. Maybe they fell away. And uh, at that, I felt so graceful when you said that too. Um, my Way life to go, was, my, my life was so broken with that. I could not understand. I was told many times because I, I kept. So th- this is the answer I wrote, and uh, I think we'll go from there. But I said the people Matthew is referring to the those who have no identity in Christ. 
There are those who do the works of God, yet have no relationship with God, therefore not, not knowing the will of God. And um, one of the revelations the Lord gave me with going through all this was that if doing good things were good enough, then Jesus dying on the cross was for nothing. I mean, it, they tried it throughout the whole entire t Testament. And that if, if doing that, we, we would have gotten it right by now. But we didn't, and so like the, the focus is the relationship, and it and it. I read that verse so many times, but what the Lord showed me was that it's not that He said that we never knew Him, because it has nothing to do with that. He never knew us. Yeah, and I, I think what's what's good in uh, you know in thinking about that is the idea that He never knew us. I, I don't think also is the point. Like the idea that at no time did he have any knowledge or awareness of us. I don't think that that's what he's expressing either. We were created by him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even the wicked that he doesn't desire to perish. Yeah. He doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. He still knows who they are. It's a difference of intimacy. The description of intimacy and remaining. Right? And, uh, and that's what we miss because, uh, man, who cares, you know, about, uh, it's like, hey, I remained faithful to my wife for 10 years, you know, and then in the last several years, ah, I was unfaithful, but hey, how about those first 10 years? No, that, no, that's not a story. No one, no one wants to hear that story. For someone to hear, we've been, we've been married for 50 years and we've been faithful to one another. It's like, wow, that's a story. Faithfulness. That's what I was talking about a few weeks ago. Our faithfulness back to Him. You know, that's intimacy. Sure, He's faithful. There's no, that's, not, that's not a question. Are you faithful? It was so good. He, he took off the playing field because the whole point is the identity issue is not having a relationship. So instead of saying, well, because I could compete with somebody and saying, well, I know God more than you do. No, I know God more than you. And it's, it's about him knowing us and being, spending time in his presence. Amen. Well, uh, why don't we pray?